Hi, my name is Jonathan Del Turco. I'm the lead pastor of International Family Church. Thank you for joining us today. If there's anything you need, please feel free to connect with us at intlfamilychurch.com. Now here's today's message. Are you ready for God's Word? Come on, let's pray. Let's believe God together. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of opening up our Bibles today. We're grateful for your Word. We're grateful, Father God, that, that your Word speaks to us, gives us hope, gives us joy, gives us strategy, answers our questions. Lord, we thank you that, that your Word makes a huge difference in our lives, and we're grateful for that today. I ask you, Father, that, that the Word that comes forth will come forth with clarity, with accuracy. Lord, it'll, it'll, it'll meet the need that's going on in our lives immediately, right now. I thank you, Father God, we'll be better for being here today. And the way we walk out of here is going to be very different than the way we walked in. We thank you for it. We'll be careful to give you all the honor, all the glory and praise, and all that God's people said. Amen. Amen. Welcome to part two in our six-week series entitled, One Month to Live. One Month to Live. In this series, you're going to be challenged to live like you only have one month to live. If you knew you only had one month to live, how would that change about your life? What would you do differently? How would you live your life? So in this series, helping you understand this, if you live the next 30 days like it was your last 30 days, it would change the way you live. This is not a series about dying or death. It's a series about living and life, living life at a whole nother level, a whole nother level and capacity of meaning and fulfillment. I know the temptation is there for you folks that look at life, the glass half empty, a little bit more negative maybe than positive. Uh, you have a little bit more cynical view of the world and maybe you're going through a tough season and you'd be tempted to go to the dying death side. So I'll be reminding you every week that it's not about that at all. It's about learning how to live, learning how to have life, because just because you have a heartbeat doesn't mean you're alive. Right? So I want to make sure that the heartbeat that shows you are alive is lived out on a level of, of fulfillment and meaning and joy like Jesus shed his blood and died for you to enjoy, you might as well enjoy it. Last week, we introduced our series talking about living the dash. Um, like you, I have been to more cemeteries than I, want, than I could probably count. I can't help but go to a cemetery and see the many tombstones and realize that somebody's life has been reduced to two dates, Right? The first date is the date that they were born. The second date is the date that they died. But that little dash in the middle is the dash, the part that tells your story. What does your dash say about you? What does your dash say about how you lived your life? Because the dash, while everybody's dates are different, everybody has a dash. While the dates are beyond your control, the dash is very much within your control, your choices, your intentionality. It represents how you lived your life, who you influenced and who influenced you, how you spent your money, how you spent your free time, the things that were important to you, the things that weren't so important to you. So I would encourage you to get online at intlfamilychurch.com, go over to the media section. All the messages are archived. Go back and listen to that. 
and uh, it, it catch up with us because it will be that important to you today. Amen. In the book that we're reading together, something that we normally don't do, but we as a congregation are reading the book, One Month to Live. We've sold out of that book, but you can get it on Amazon, whatever version that, that is best suited for you. And in that book, there are four main chapters, four main principles that we're dealing with in this book. For chapter number one, live passionately. It goes on, live com love completely, learn humbly, leave boldly. So today we're going to talk about the first principle in the book called live passionately. Live passionately. Now here's our big takeaway. If you're new to IFC, I do my best to give a big takeaway every service, every Sunday, so you can go home with at least one point that you'll remember because most of the points I make today, you'll forget before lunch. I get it. But hopefully there is one that will stick with you, and that's our big takeaway. And here's our big takeaway today. It's a quote from Howard Thurman. It says this, Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I want to make sure you're alive. I want to make sure that you are living life at a whole nother level. That's my responsibility as your pastor um, to help you make sure that your life is really worth living. If you're here today and you wonder, will anybody miss me if I was gone? My life's not that important. It's really dark right now. I'm thinking thoughts that I, I wish I never thought or never dreamed I would be thinking about my life. Well, I want to give you enough tools in this series that you'll never think that way another day in your life, that you'll so value your life. It might not be perfect. It might not be where you want to be, but there's always hope. Um, there's always an opportunity to experience God's highest and best. I love this quote because it challenges me to live with passion. The driving force behind every great accomplishment is passion, right? Any endeavor of life, you think about whatever endeavor it might be from sports to business to, to science to, to whatever it might be in your life, every great accomplishment, every endeavor, amen, happens because of passion. Life is worth living because of passion. Passion makes life worth living, amen. Um, passion is what gives life the kind that you were meant to live. Mark 12, verse 30, gives us some really important instructions. Follow along on the screen. So love the Lord God with all your passions and prayer and intelligence and energy. Take notice of the word passion because God wants you to love Him with passion. God wants your life to be full of passion. God created you to be a passionate person. You were made with the capacity to be passionate because God is a passionate God. People say, I don't, I don't come from a passionate family. You know, I, most of us are introverts and we're not extroverts like other people. And so I've heard introverts say, I, I, I don't do the passion thing. I'm not very passionate. Uh, or or I, I, I can't be passionate. Well, that's just not true because God made you with a capacity to be passionate. Why? Because He's a passionate God. Amen. 
because His Spirit lives within us. We were created in His image. Amen. So, so how He is, so are we. So passion should be a very real part of your everyday life. Amen. It doesn't matter if you're extrovert or introvert. God made you to feel things deeply. And I know people who don't feel deeply about things, and it's God's will that you do feel deeply about things. Amen. Um, it's always important to feel deeply, especially about God's plan and purpose for your life. When was the last time you felt deeply about something? Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Let's focus for a moment on that word keep. Um, because what that tells me is that you can lose passion. There's something you need to do so you don't lose passion. In other words, passion leaks. Passion leaks. And the Bible tells us here to keep our passion. So the inference there is there are certain things if you don't do them, you won't be able to keep them. You can lose your passion. God created every one of us to be passionate people. And, and you have to work at being passionate. You can lose your passion for the Lord. You can lose your passion for life. You can lose your passion as a parent, as a spouse, as a, as a young adult, as a young person ready to attack life. And God created every one of us to be passionate. But here's the challenge. Life just tends to beat the passion right out of us. Have you discovered that? You ain't got to be very old or very long on this earth to realize that life just has a way of beating the passion right out of you. People, circumstances, issues, disappointments, hurts. Oh my goodness, the list just goes on and on uh, on the levels of your heart and how it can, many pieces it can be broken into. There's no doubt about it. So life has a way of beating us up. Now, life is not near as long in comparison to eternity, but life, especially when it's not going very well, man just seems to drag on forever and ever. When will it change? When will it get better? When will I start enjoying life? When will I be happy? When will life start making sense for me and the difficulties and pressures and and, and stresses drain the passion right out of our lives. But again, God wants us to be passionate people. One of the biggest reasons why um, issues that drain passion out of us is an overcrowded life. Let's talk about that this morning. An overcrowded life. Dr. Richard Swanson, in his book Margin, says this about Margin. Margin is the difference between your load and your limit. Margin is the difference between your load and your limit. I don't have time to go there, but that's profound right there. He goes on to say, the less margin you have in your life, the more stress you experience in your life. It's like trying to read a book with no spaces between the words and no margin on the page. A life without margin is just like that. Without margin and space, the, the, the sentences are chaotic and incomprehensible. Well, a life without margin is simply that. Everything is all mushed together. There's no breaks. Everything is all overwhelming. All 20 things that you need to do are just you know, colliding in a chaotic state. And it's chaotic, and life can be incomprehensible. 
just not very much fun, just no joy, um, and, and it's very difficult. So when I put a little margin and space in my life, well, it begins to make more sense. So most of us live our lives without any or very little margin. We have no margin in our schedules. Our calendars are overcrowded. We have no margin with our money. We are living from paycheck to paycheck. We have no margin physically. We don't get enough rest. We don't eat right, and we don't exercise enough. The CDC, the Center of Disease Control, says 90% of all diseases are caused by stress. Caused by stress. Now here's what stress is. Stress is being emotionally controlled by people and or circumstances. That's tough. When you're under stress, you're being emotionally controlled, either one or the other or both, people and the issues they cause or circumstances and the issues that they can cause. We have little to no margin in our lives. We wonder why we feel so stressed and we can't find passion. We get so busy in the details that we miss what is the most important things in our lives. Listen very carefully. You cannot be stressed and trust God at the same time. Make up your mind. Which one do you want? Because you can't have both. You can't be trusting God and be all stressed out at the same time. You can't be stressed out, stressed out and say, I'm going to trust God. It's one or the other. We have to choose. When you have 30 days to live, when you have one month left of your life, you very quickly learn what is causing my stress so I can trust God. Because you need to trust God when you know there's a limited resource called your life. You don't want to live stressed. You want to be able to trust God. So I want to help you get rid of the stress that an overcrowded life causes so you can really trust God and live like you're supposed to live. You glad you're here? I love the story in Luke 5. Luke 5, we see Jesus in a very crowded house. More people in that house than really the house is made for. But the challenge is, there's a person that needs to get to Jesus, but he can't because how crowded the house is. Let's read about it. This story in Luke chapter 5, we start at verse 18. You can follow along. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, trying to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the, into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. It was on to say in verse 25, Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen We have seen remarkable things today. I love this story because I love the determination and the focus and the intentionality of these four friends. I I, I mean, um, nothing's going to stop them. They have a goal. They obviously love their friend who's in a dire place. And whatever it takes, they're going to get their friend to Jesus. Verse 26 ends by saying, We have seen remarkable things today. 
Which makes me think, what would it take for all of us today to be able to say about our day, we have seen remarkable things today? What has to change in your life so you can say, man, my life is remarkable? Man, by the, by the time this day ends, I, it was a remarkable day. How could we say that every day like they declared that the result of the events of that day ended up being remarkable? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be remarkable to all of us if we could make the necessary changes in our daily routines so we can focus on things that matter most? These four friends were trying to get their friend to Jesus so he could be healed. But they ran into a very big problem in verse 19, tells us the problem. They could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. That's the worst thing about a crowded life. It keeps you from being close to Jesus. That's what a crowded life does. It keeps you away from what matters most. It keeps you away because of all these other things that are crowding your life. The no margin, the, the issues, the deadlines, the challenges, the money, the issues, one after another. Boom, 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 boom. And, and a crowded life does the same thing that stopped these four friends from getting their friend who needed divine intervention to Jesus. The crowd was in the way. I can always tell when my life is too crowded. I can always tell when my life is overloaded because I start going through the motions in my walk with the Lord. My soul feels dry. My emotions get numb. My passions begin to wane. And that's the problem of one of the greatest tragedies and travesties, rather, of the 21st century is a life without passion, no longer living, just existing. The reason why it's a travesty because it keeps us from being close to Christ, having this rich, abiding love relationship that we were created to enjoy. So I know that we need to understand how to do this. So I'm going to take the story of these four friends and I want to encourage you by their example how we can recapture our lives, recapture um, the passion in our lives by doing what this story tells us to do. How many of you are ready for this? Amen. Amen. Number one, you ready? Realize what's important. Realize what's important. Luke 5, 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles. That means they ripped the roof apart into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. These four friends realized what was important. I'm sure they might, you know, they thought that this might be the last chance. Man, our, our, our friend needs help here. We, we love this guy. We, we grew up together. We, we hung together. And man, he needs our help. And, and these friends rallied around and they thought, we have an opportunity. It's a small window it's a limited opportunity. We need to make you take advantage of this now. We can't put this off. And so because they realized this opportunity was limited, they immediately realized what was important. What did we say last week? That when you realize this thing called life is a limited resource, it changes the way you think. It changes your priorities. It makes you more authentic. It makes you more determined, 
right? It makes you more deliberate about your life. Well, that's what happened to these, these friends. They realized this was a limited opportunity, and they immediately understood what was important. So what did they do? Man, they, they did what any other good friend would do. They ripped a hole in the roof. Who does that? They ripped a hole in the roof. They wanted to get their friend to Jesus because they knew that if they could get him to Jesus, that whatever was wrong would be fixed. I'm sure that when they were tearing the roof apart, they were not thinking, hey, wait, 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 wait. We might have to pay for this. I didn't think that was even a concern of theirs. I don't think friend number one said to friend number three, hey, 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 had you thought about this? You know, I don't know about you, but I don't have the money to pay for this roof. Do you? We could get in real trouble. Man, they, they, can, they can call the cops. They can, they, we're, we're, we're destroying personal property here. Are, are we sure we want to do this? Are we sure that this is really where, where we want to go? Because once we destroy this thing, I mean, who knows what's going to happen next? It wasn't their main concern. You know why? It was a roof. Now, follow me. It was a roof. So many of us get stuck on the roof. We worry about stuff that's not going to last. We worry about things that are not that important in the grand scheme of things. The more stuff you have, the more there is to worry about. We focus on things that don't really matter, things that won't last five years from now, let alone for eternity. Jesus is not saying here, I support you destroying private property. Right? That's not the point. The point is, I don't, I don't want you to go ruin somebody's roof or destroy somebody's stuff. He's not saying that. He's trying to give a picture and a point about priorities. When you realize what your priorities are, something's got to change. Amen. Right? Something has to change. We focus on things that doesn't really matter. We forget about the things that really do matter, like the people in our lives, like the dreams in our hearts, like the divine assignments that God put on the inside of us to, that need to be accomplished. These guys valued their friend's need for Jesus over the value of the roof. They said, it's just a roof. We'll replace the roof, but we've got to get our friend to Jesus. They realized what was important, and they became passionate about it. Oh, that's so good. Number one, realize what's important. You want to recapture your passion? Number two, remove the obstacles. Remove the obstacles. Decide what's important and start eliminating what's not. Decide what's important and start eliminating what's not. These four friends saw an obstacle, they removed it. We need to be that focused in our life. Okay, Pastor, that sounds a lot easier. That sounds nice coming off the stage. It sounds wonderful that that's a good thing to do, but how do I do that? How do I choose between all the things that are clamoring for my attention? How do I do that? Great question. Glad you asked. Are you ready for the answer? Yes. Okay. You said yes. Yeah. See, the really important things in life, the things that we would focus on if we realized our time was limited are not the things that come with all the bells and whistles. 
They aren't the things that have a deadline. They aren't the things that would give us financial reward for doing them. In fact, almost certainly they will go unnoticed and you'll receive little fanfare when you choose to do them. I'm talking about things like taking the time to tuck your children into bed. I'm talking about taking the time to listen to them when they talk to you. I'm talking about taking the time when she wants to put curlers in your hair, Dad. You let her put curlers in your hair. When she wants to do tea with you and her stuffed animals, you stop and do tea with her stuffed animals. How do I know that? Because I've had curlers in my hair. Because I did tea with all the teddy bears. Right? Yeah. I played trucks with my son. I got dirty. Amen. I remember how valuable that was. See, that might not put more money in my bottom line. That might not bring promotion to me at work. That might not make me a big deal in my community. But the things that really matter are the things that most of us never see. Come on, somebody. Right? Amen. It's taking the time to honor your spouse and say to them what they really mean to you and honor them and respect them, right? It's taking the time to spend some time with a friend you haven't seen, but you heard they're going through hell and they need you right now. It's taking the time to write out a note of appreciation, value, or encouragement. Remember writing notes? Remember the days we used to write notes? Writing a note to somebody that would be blown away that you took the time to write them from your heart. You getting the point? When you realize your life is limited, when you got 30 days to live, man, you value. See, none of these things have a deadline. And that's the challenge because they don't get on our schedule. Mm. But the value of them and the result of which is life changing. So take time to decide what really matters to you. Then start eliminating the things that don't matter for the things that matter most. Each of us will resist, must resist the temptation of putting this off. We all need to be bold and proactive to weed out the overcrowdedness in our lives in order to live passionately. Number three, let's move on. Number three, create God's space. Create God's space. Verse 19 says that these men um, looked into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Please take note that, that the phrase, middle of the crowd. See, right there in the middle of the crowd, they created a space that wasn't there before. So their friend could meet with Jesus. Please understand something. I've learned this, that a crowded life is the normal of most of our lives. You can complain about it. You can whine about it. Let me tell you something. My life is crowded. I have a lot to do, like any busy person. So the crowded life is normal, but not creating space is not normal. Because it's the normal, I have to proactively make God space, family space, right? I have to make this space. So 
the, the house was super crowded. Nobody could get in. But when all that roof material started coming down on people's heads, right? And everybody took notice. And this mat started coming down with four friends in coordination so the guy wouldn't fall off the mat and be in worse condition than he already was in. Right. So he had to trust his buddies that they got him down and they created a space that was not there. We have to learn, I'm going to help you here, learn to make space that you don't think is there, but it is. In the same way, in the middle of a crowded, overscheduled life of Jesus, he learned a great, we learn a great lesson from his life because how he handled his overcrowded life. You got to know, Jesus was always having people clamoring around him, wanting to touch him, wanting to hear his wisdom, wanting to have their needs met. Uh, that right all the time. I mean, the needs are enormous, and Jesus was constantly inundated by people at their worst in their worst conditions. And Mark 1, 35 to 38 says this about Jesus. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, Jesus, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. Was he now done with people? I don't love people anymore. No, he knew what his purpose was. He knew why he was called. He knew why he came as a baby. He knew what his divine assignment was. He knew more than anybody else what his purpose was. He wasn't running from his purpose. He was realizing, I can't do my purpose unless I go somewhere else. I can't do my purpose unless I make some God space. I can't do my purpose unless I spend some time with my Heavenly Father. And you and I, we can't do what we're called to do. We can't do our assignment. We can't fulfill our destiny unless we also make some space in a crowded place. Come on, somebody. You see, when Jesus had to create space in his life, if he had to create space in his life, guess what? So do I. If Jesus needed it, I need it. If Jesus needed it, you need it. We're no better than our master Jesus, right? If he had to create it, I had to create, I have to create it. And you're thinking, Pastor, I can't get up any earlier. I can't go to bed any later. Pastor, I can't take on one more responsibility. Pastor, I've got soccer. I've got karate. I've got music lessons. I've got dance lessons. I've got this. I've got the extra job. The boss is coming in for a month. I've got all these things. Where do you think this time is going to happen? Where do you think I'm going to create God's space? Let me tell you something. Listen very carefully. God's not going to give you 24 hours, 26 hours. You only have 24, right? So you don't make more time. Listen, you take more time. You can't make more time. We wish we could. But if you don't take it, it's never going to happen. You take it. My wife, when we had our two children, 16 months apart, it was crazy and hectic. My wife prayed while she made the bed. Prayed while she did laundry, right? Listened to the Bible on audio. There are things you have to do. Prayed for me when she was over on my side of the bed making the bed. 
right? You take the time. You have to find the time. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying that, and, and God knows exactly how crazy your schedule is. He's not a hard taskmaster, but you need to take the time. I had to learn to take the time. I had to learn to uh, what identify what was important and then begin to the elimination process and begin to realize that the most important one who needs to spend time with me is not demanding his time with me. He's waiting for me to make the choice. The deadline's making you scream. That person, this situation, they're the ones screaming for your time. The one you need the most is not screaming for your time. He's waiting for you to want to make the time. So because we know the squeaky wheel gets the oil, Jesus knows that, so he's not screaming, he's not belittling you, he's not berating you, you must not love me, you don't care about me. He's, he's, he's not doing any of that, but he wants you to realize if you will give him the time, the quality of your time, you might not get 26 hours, but the 24 you already have will be lived in such a high level that you'll get more done than you ever did before. Right? When we focus on pleasing the audience of one, everything changes. Now, just in this service alone, we can see how big the audience is. Put all three of these together, online, kids, and so forth, there's quite the audience here. I've had to learn over the years that my main audience is not you. No disrespect to you. As much as I love this and being on, in this situation, to be able to help and be a blessing to you, my main audience is not you. My main audience is one. That's with my father. And when I get that right, you get the best of me. When I don't get that right, you don't get the best of me. And you're no different. Your family doesn't get the best of you. Your wife doesn't get the best of you. Your husband, your kids, they don't get the best of you. Work, nobody gets the best of you because you have not focused on the audience of one. Simplify. There is one person you need to please and the rest absolutely takes care of itself. Man, that's good preaching. All right, number four. The fourth thing that will help you recapture your passion Keep a constant reminder. Keep a constant reminder. We you know, all know how easy it is to ask the tough questions, make some life-changing adjustments, begin to make progress, and fall right back into the trap of being overcrowded. Yeah. Luke 5, 24 says, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Interesting to me that Jesus could have said, man, get up and go throw away your mat. Get up and put that thing in the trash. You're not going to need that any longer. He didn't say that. He told them to get up, pick up his mat, and go home. Why? Because that mat was his reminder. Look what the Lord has done for you. Look what making space did for you. And remind you the value of making space. Amen. Maybe he went home and nailed that thing on the wall. Or right by the entrance, he'd touch it every time he'd leave and touch it every time he walked in because that was his testimony. That was his testimony that, man, I was once paralyzed and a mess, and look at me now. 
running and leaping and praising God. Look at me now, right? Right. It's a constant reminder that when something else bad took place, he could see that man and say, okay, that's right. I made God space, and look what God did for me. It's a reminder. You need a reminder. You need to have a testimony. You need to have maybe, it might be a yearly celebration of when you found out you had breast cancer, now you're, you're cancer-free, and every year around that date, you throw a party, right? Or you were left for dead, and, and God came through for you, or you had the worst time of your life, and God opened a different door for you. And then every year, you can, we don't celebrate enough. You can celebrate and throw a party that you're alive and you're well and you're strong and so forth. And, and you know, we use, we use wristbands. And we're going to give you a wristband in this series that will help you remind you to live life, amen, at a whole nother level. And we'll explain more about that later on. Last but not least, you ready? I love this one. Five, have some crazy passionate friends. Amen. Amen. You need to have some crazy friends. I'm not just talking about friends. Say crazy. Crazy friends. You need some crazy friends. Do you have some crazy friends? Amen. Luke 5, 18 and 19 said, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house, lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they, it could have said, they gave up and said, We tried. They could have said, Let's go home. We'll watch it online. They could have said, ah, he'll probably be passing by sometime soon again. We'll, we'll try this another time. No, they went up on the roof and they tore the roof apart, lowered the mat, the man on his mat, threw the tiles into the crowd right in front of Jesus. How many of you would love to have four friends like that? How many of you have friends like that? Not as many hands went up. I understand. I get it. Now listen. Listen very carefully to this profound statement. You ready? It's going to blow your mind. Ready? Your friends are your future you. Wow. Your friends are your future you. Friendship may, might not be the most important factor of your spiritual life, but it's certainly one of the most overlooked. The way King Solomon said it was this way, Proverbs 13, 20. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with the fools and watch your life fall to pieces. In other words, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Another proper statement is, I, show me the five people you spend the most time with and I'll show you your future. Wow. I, I can't tell you how often this simply is ignored. People will make a lot of adjustments in their life, come to a service like this and say, wow, man, I needed to hear this. It was already on my heart. Thank you, Pastor, for helping me, giving me strategy. And, and we'll make a lot of adjustments in our personal life, but we won't touch our friends. And we wonder why we fall back. We wonder why it's not sustainable. See, I can't tell you how often this is ignored. They really get motivated to become something for God and, and really want to live your life like you need to, but don't take inventory of their friendships. 
See, for most decisions in your life, it's not the big dreams you dream, but the small decisions that you make. There's probably no better application than in our friendships. Our future is shaped less. Listen, our future is shaped less by our dreams and ambitions of what we will do for God and more by the company we choose to keep in the present. Yeah. Your future, you will thank you when you take inventory of your friends. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends that are different than you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have friends that are just like you from where you came from. I'm not saying that you have to have perfect friends. I'm not saying that, 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 that our friendship, our friendship should only be Christians or people from church. No, no. That's the problem with most Christians is after five, six, seven years, studies tell us they no longer have friends that are far from God. That's not right. Jesus was a friend to sinners. I'm not saying you shouldn't be friends with people that are maybe don't espouse the same desires for God and church and God's word and, and, and morality and on and on we go. They just can't be your most intimate friends. There's all centric circles, like a bullseye, that you have these outside circle of a lot of acquaintances and maybe friends that, that you used to hang with. And then there's a, a closer circle of, of friends that are a little bit more intimate than you. Then you have that bullseye, those friends that, and, and your spouse needs to be in that place and, and that really can honor God with you and really can bring life to you and really support you and challenge you and, and cause to bring the best out of you. And they're not encouraging you. Come on, man, we used to hang. Come on, we used to do this on Friday night. We've missed you. Come on, you need to hang out with us on Friday night. You need to, come on, when's the last time you got high? When's the last time you got drunk out of your mind? When's the last time you just forgot about everything and just went, went and partied? Let me tell you something. When you're taking inventory and only have 30 days to live and you want to live your life with the limited resources, you take inventory of your friends. I've even been talking about boyfriend and girlfriends. You're probably glad I don't have enough time to go there today. But that would apply right here too. And your future you will thank you when you take inventory of your friends. Wow. Wow. Not happy with your life? Perhaps it's time to take inventory of the friends closest to you. Sermons might inspire you, but it's your community that shapes you. Wow. Yes. Pastor, where do I find these friends? Well, you don't find them by coming 45 minutes late to church and leaving early. Can we make, keep it real? You come, get here at a decent time, right? Hang with us. Don't leave right away. When's the last time you came through line and said hello to me? I see you running off. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe you need to get to work. I get it. Maybe you need to get, you're so starving, you got to get to lunch. <laughs> I get it. But when's the last time you introduced yourself to somebody? Oh, I'm a little shy. Well, that's fine. But develop some relationships. Go to a life group. Right? Extend yourself. Go to next steps. Right? Get on a team. Be community. That's what's missing in your life. Amen. Don't be so spiritual. You don't think you need us. Oh, we're not perfect, but we need each other. Yes, All right, I guess enough of that. 
Luke 5, 25, let me close. Immediately he stood in front of them, took what he had been lying on, speaking of the man that was paralyzed, and went home praising God. I love the word immediately. It speaks to me today. Because you know what? You can immediately make a choice today to not allow this overcrowded life to keep draining your passion. It's something you can do now. I would encourage you, don't wait. You're going through a mental checklist right now. You're going through things in your mind right now. You need to write down. Get it on your phone. Get it on that piece of paper. Amen. Listen to it. Listen to God. And do it right away. Don't put this kind of stuff off. If you only had 30 days to live, you wouldn't be putting it off. What do I need to change in my life so I can go to a higher level with God? Amen. Like I never have before. Again, our big takeaway, and I close. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's so good today. Listen very carefully. There's something else you cannot put off another moment that you need to do immediately. And that's open up your heart and let Jesus come in and live on the inside. Immediately, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You only have guarantee of the breath you're breathing right now. Today is that day. Immediately, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, he is not the one in charge of your life. He is not that audience of one that you need. You've been living your way, your way, doing it the way you want to, right? It's time now to say, Jesus, I, I need you to forgive me for my sins. I want heaven to be my home. It's time for a new motivation. It's time to go higher. It's time to recognize that I can no longer be bound by this crazy life of mine. I need divine intervention. I need your help. And today can be the day, whether you're in this room or watching us online today, that Jesus can come into your life and transform you from the inside out. Amen. Did you learn something today? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Stand to your feet today. You do me a favor, all of us, just for a moment, just raise those hands towards heaven. Even if you're not used to raising your hands in church, will you do that today? Because this is simply the universal sign of surrender. Just saying, Lord, here's my heart. I can't do this by myself. It's been so overwhelming. I've been so hopeless. It's been over. It's it's been a heavy burden. I I've not known what to do. I I've been confused, and I'm normally not as confused as this. It's been dark. I don't like it. I don't like how I'm thinking. I don't like how I'm living. I need divine intervention. That's why you're in church today. Because God's not your problem. You think he is. But he's not. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He's not your judge today. People do that. You judge yourself. That's not God. Whatever you heard, whatever you think, it's just not true. So, Father, we raise our hands knowing, Lord, that only you can be the one that helps me prioritize my priorities. Only you can truly help me live a life of passion. See, Jesus didn't come to die for your comfort zone, He didn't come so that you could be lazy procrastinate live in apathy and not care he came so you would have life 
and then enjoy that life. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bowed, please, I know my time is over. You say, Pastor, I need Jesus today. Pastor, I, I need to ask him to come into my heart. Pastor, I, I've never done it. I've never, ever intentionally opened up my heart and said, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. It's time for me to start brand new and start fresh again. I need you, Jesus. I, I want to be right with God. I want heaven as my home. If that's the cry of your heart today, I want to pray for you. Let me know that's the cry of your heart by simply put your hand up and put it down today. Put it up high. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All back there. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? Over here. Put it. Yes, sir. I see it. Yeah. God bless you. I see it. Over here. Yeah, thank you. I see it. God bless you. Who else? Raise it up high. Yeah, I see it, sir. Thank you. Who else? Raise it up. Put it down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward today. We're going to pray a prayer in just a moment today. That means you two online today. Thank you, sir. Good for you. Awesome. Smart move. Smart move. This is one of the smartest things. you. It is the smartest thing you could ever do is say yes to Jesus today. I'm not asking you to join this church. It's not about church. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with someone who actually died for you and loves you, but didn't stay dead, live and well, wants to live inside your heart today. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. God bless you. Good for you. Let's bow our heads. Let's all pray this prayer together. Please join me online. Let's all pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I believe you died for me, but you didn't stay dead. And your death pays for my sin and provides me with the gift of eternal life. I invite you to come into my heart. Forgive me for my sin. By faith, I receive the gift of salvation. I acknowledge you as my Lord, my Savior. And from this day forward, I will serve you all the days of my life. I love you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just listened to part two in our series, One Month to Live. I want to leave you with these questions to think about. What or who drains your passion? Have you created enough God space in your day? If not, what needs to change? If it's true that your friends are the future you, do your friends set you up for future success? If not, what needs to change? Here's a final statement that really challenges me and I hope it challenges you. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Thank you for listening today. You have a great week. God bless you.